I am delighted to bring you today's guest, Alessandra Alano. She is a New York-based illustrator, and she has a broad roster of clients that include major brands like Bergdorf Goodman, Clinique, Anthropology, Urban Outfitters, Uniqlo, Yahoo, West Elm. Her work has been featured in top publications like Vogue, Oprah Magazine, Wall Street Journal, Variety, Bon Appetit, and Goop. She's also the founder of AOK Body Oil and the co-founder of a pajama line, Dodo Banana. Through her unique illustrations, she explores the themes of self-forgiveness, vulnerability, and resilience. Today, we're going to be talking about her extraordinary books that she brought to us as a grief response after losing her mother. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am so delighted that I have a guest here whose books I've admired and art I have admired, and she's giving us an hour of her time, and I am so grateful. Alessandra Olano, thank you so, so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to get we- in. Yeah, we were already having a little bit of a conversation sort of off mic. And I I ask people the same question and there's so many entry points, but I'd love for you to just begin by telling us how you come into this world of grief and loss. Oh gosh. You know, I think I I've I think we all are surrounded by these moments of loss from young ages, whether it's losing a pet or a grandparent or family friend. And, you know, so I think grief really caught up with me, really beginning with the end of my marriage, but more so when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And although, you know, she was still around for probably five years since her diagnosis, there was this anticipatory grief that in some ways was harder for me than after she actually passed. That makes so much sense to me. And thank you for using the word anticipatory grief. First of all, I already asked you this, but I want to ask you for our audience. What was your mom's name? My mom's name was Mariana Caridad Olano. I actually, when she passed tattooed Caridad, which means charity on my arm. She would hate that because she didn't love tattoos, but I like it because every time I miss her, I just kind of kiss her. It's my little reminder that I can carry with me of her. I have my mom's initials and she would hate them also. I have a few tattoos and this one was just this year. I just got them, but she would hate it. She she would hate hate it, it, but maybe love the concept behind it and the reasoning behind it. Yeah. You use that word anticipatory grief and you said that was harder in some ways. Can you just give us some examples of how that showed up? Because I think it's a li- it's one of those topics where it's like, oh yeah, we know what that that is. But when I sit with people, I'm not sure everybody really understands like what that's like to oh, live. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, it showed up in that when she was alive, So my mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was pregnant Mm. uh, with my child. I have one child, Coco, who's eight years old now. And it was an intense period of time for me because I was having some complications in my marriage. And I was also turning 40, which is sort of a pivotal 
year for women, you know, it's in some ways a midpoint. So I was really kind of taking stock in where I was and then had this life growing inside of me. And at the same time, I had my mom who was faced with knowing that she only had a limited amount of time. And the anticipatory grief showed up in that I knew she wasn't going to be with me. And sometimes it was hard for me to be present with her and enjoy that she was just there in front of me without leaping forward and thinking about when she wouldn't be with me. Uh, It showed up that way in many ways and also sort of missing her when she was still there, knowing that it was going to be hard when she would be gone. Yeah. It was extremely hard for me to navigate how to show up for her when she was suffering and when she was questioning why this was happening. I mean, she was relatively young when she passed. She was 69. Yeah. Um, It was really a tough, tough thing to unpack. I'm grateful for how you just described it because I think you made it more concrete for people. And I think the concept of like trying to be in the moment Mm. without already predicting what it's going to, because we can't really predict what it's going to feel like, but the bittersweetness of already having the grief, right? Like anticipatory grief is just really grief right now. It's just grief before the event, but it is grief. And so to be in the moments that, you know, are some of, you know, the moments are final are finite when somebody has a cancer diagnosis that we know is terminal mm-hmm. and you begin to feel that. In yeah, the- and, then, and then lots of things show up. I remember some of my most painful moments were, so my mom ended up doing home hospice mm-hmm. and she lived in Rye. I was living in Brooklyn and it was a battle to get up there just in terms of if you've ever lived in New York, driving is tough. Yeah, it was a good hour in traffic. I would go and see my mom almost every day. Yeah, and it was a good hour to get up there. I would drop my daughter at daycare, or she was in a, a pre, a twos thing, and I would get up there and I would see her suffering, and then I'd get back in my car and I would process all that on the drive home through traffic, it frustrated, and also feeling like I wasn't showing up enough. Yeah, It's so hard. It's, it's, there's a lot of guilt around how it could or should be. Yeah, um, that's right. And there's no rule book on how to show up for someone that's dying, yeah. especially someone that you care about. You know, there were times I just didn't want to go see her because I couldn't bear it. Bear it. Yeah. Yeah. When my dad was dying of cancer, I traveled back and forth a lot. And when I look back at that, you know, it was a decision that I made. I knew it was the right decision to spend as much time with him, but it feels the way you describe when I look back at it now. Mm-hmm. You know, it I like, wanted- Am I doing this right? It felt like I always felt shame about like, am I rushing? Should I just put leave Coco with, cause my mom didn't want Coco around towards the end very much. Yeah. Um, so I thought, should I leave my daughter with her dad while I go up there? I just, I was ha- really struggling and it felt like whatever I chose, I felt total shame and guilt about it. Cause it's so imperfect. 
Mm. You know, I think when I think back on it, when I see myself like getting in my car, getting my little go bag, driving to the airport, getting on a plane, coming, you know, coming out at the other side in Boston, I just have so much compassion for myself because I'm trying so hard to do something, but I don't even know what I'm doing. I've no template and it all feels bad. Every time I came back, I'd be like nauseous getting back on the plane. Sometimes I would have to call people to coach me to get back on the plane because it, it felt so insane to leave him knowing that he may not be alive in between the but I had kids and a life and clients. Absolutely. And then you try to dip back into that life and be that fun partner or fun mother or fun friend. And it's impossible. Yeah. I think I, when I look at it, I'm like, I look like a grown up who's making choices. But I felt like a kid who was just like needed someone to tell me this was enough or this was good enough or that, you know, yeah, and this is, and that this is something that you're going through with a parent, you kind of are that kid. That's right. We, we always remain the children of, of our our parents. And it's, it's, it's a so hard to witness someone, particularly if they were your rock my mom was always my rock to have her not be able to guide me on top of it all was just brutal brutal I totally get that and I feel like guilt at least for me Mm -hmm. guilt was really hard after my mom died because she had had a short illness and then sort of died suddenly and I just was it was relentless the like why didn't you do this why didn't you do that what if you had done this and I I have treated so many people and they have said the same to me, but when you're inside that guilt, I feel like that guilt, like the, the conversation in your ear, rather than having to face the fact that you're really helpless. Yeah. So helpless. You really are. And I think what I've learned over time is that that's okay. That's what had, that's the only way it had had to be. That's how it had to be. Yeah. That's a phrase I use a lot. It was always going to be this way. Hmm. And I say that almost like a benediction because I think, you know, we want to avoid pain as much as possible, but I think it's a real disservice to imply sort of that Western culture of like, you're failing if you're in pain, because there's nothing about a beloved dying that isn't painful. So you're not failing. That's just the way it was always going to be. Yeah. And and if you've not experience losing someone that means the world to you, it's going to be clunky and awful and hard. Um, I think even if you have, I mean, maybe you have a little bit of each each time. I mean, I feel like, you know, one of the things that's super humbling for me is that like, I've experienced loss. I have multiple losses across my life that were deeply significant. And it's what I talk about all day long. And still, I was like, holy crap, yeah. <laughs> this is impossible. I can't do this. Absolutely. I don't have enough information. I want to ask you about the role of your art in helping you grieve. You said a minute ago that you would be in the car and sort of process the experience of being with your mom. I'm really interested in how people take that energy that suddenly is inside their system. That oh. it, 
grief yeah. and then like get it out or try to get it out. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, art has really been my saving grace in so many ways. Uh, as you may or may not know, I'm not sure if your listeners know, I've used art as, I like to say, I draw my feelings. And, you know, we all have this dialogue that's happening inside our head. And I think getting it out through creativity is vital. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be an artist. You could write it. You yep. could dance it. You could play it yeah. musically. For me, drawing is my saving grace because I'm able to sort of get out what's going on inside my head and then look at it yeah and looking at it helps me understand it it helps me look at my feelings and and really understand what's happening god i i love that description i what came for me was writing and i teach some writing through trauma and memoir classes and what we talk a lot about is, is writing from the pain versus mm -hmm. writing about the pain. Mm -hmm. And so part of the process writing is so that you can own your story and that it doesn't make you spin out around and it doesn't make you burst into tears that you can. And it sounds like that's what you're describing the art is in a very yeah. similar way. Yeah, yes, absolutely. For me, you know, as time went on and I continued to draw my feelings it sort of created this story yeah. and I could see how I was handling all the turns in my grief process I mean I'm still grieving I think yeah. we all 100% grieve you know we have had something we love or cared for or something that was meaningful to us and it's still meaningful to us it's just we're not able to put that love somewhere and that's I think beautiful. that's what grief is, is it's this sort of misplaced love. Such a beautiful description. So for folks who don't know, although they'll have heard your bio when we're, when this is all live, can you just talk about what, you know, has art always been a part of your life? Yeah. Did so I grew up with crayons in my hand. I always was an artistic child, but I kind of grew up in a more traditional family. My parents weren't exactly looking at creativity as a career for me. Yeah. So I sort of had to find my way into that. And I worked in design and advertising for a few years. And it wasn't until I was probably in my early thirties that I said, I want to try illustration. Yeah. And I loved it. I love drawing for a living. I, I started out doing commercial work, mostly fashion and advertising and editorial stuff. And then right around, I would say 2015, I went through a divorce and that's when I started drawing my feelings. And I did it by posting on Instagram. I would sort of every day just put something up there about how I felt and I didn't really expect much from it, but slowly people started following me and connecting with me and saying, oh, I feel that way too. And that was everything for me just to see that I wasn't alone in this world of uncertainty 
of what was next and what I thought would be and what wasn't. And around that time, my now literary agent, her name's Kate Woodrow, reached out to me and said, I don't know what's happening in your life, but you should make a book. Yeah. And we came up with a little pitch. We pitched it around to a few publishing houses and got a few offers. And I published my first book, which is called I Used to Have a Plan. And that was kind of about letting go of what you thought was going to happen in life and embracing what's actually happening. And then while I was completing that book, my mom passed and I thought, this is really not what I had in the plan. And after a year or two of really accepting that I like I said was drawing my grief path and I saw it created sort of a story of how I was processing grief and I thought I want to share this with people and so I created my second book which is called Hello Grief and I'm so proud of Hello Grief. Ah I love that. I think what really compelled me to draw this book was when my mom passed away, I got so many great books. There are so many great books about grief. There are, agree. Uh, but the issue for me was I only had this much space and yeah. to read some of these dense books was no really way, hard for me. No way, everyone. So I wanted to make everyone. something that was, you could just open up and look at a picture and connect with that picture and say, oh, I might, maybe someone might see something that they identify or connected with. So the book is really just my sort of journey through losing my mom, but it's not like grief, very linear. You can kind of pick it up anywhere you want and just say, I'm feeling bummy. Let me look at this book and say, oh, somebody else has felt like that. And there's an amazing feeling about (laughs) not being the only one. 100% 100% in there. It makes you feel less isolated. It makes you feel less crazy. It makes you feel connected to something. And that was my hope for the book. So let's, you know, hope it helps. I've already received tons of wonderful oh, sure. emails and direct messages from people. So I'm hopeful it helps. It's so powerful, I think, exactly for what you just described, which is that it can meet a griever. I mean, people should follow your Instagram because it's gorgeous and it's, you know, it's there for you to connect to, right? And if you don't connect to that, then you can move along. It's fine. But one thing that you're able to do, it's not just the art. It is also the words that often accompany the art, which are... Mm -hmm. They're often like witty and double entendre, and we'll give a couple of examples in a minute, but it just kind of like nails it. And that's what we're looking for, right? Whether we're picking up a book or having a conversation or we're listening to music or we want our pain to be seen. We want it to be validated. And you in this very quick, very smart way, take the things that I think grievers say universally over and over. And you're like, yes, uh uh-huh. Here it is with your art. So to me, it feels like a coffee table book almost like, right. Like we're going to put this on the table. We're going to pick it up. And I used to have a plan feels to me like a book about loss. 
It is. Right. Which I didn't know that's what it was going to be when I picked it up. Whereas with your book, Hello Grief, I'll be right with you anticipated, but really the themes in them are the same, which is just page after page of validation. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. These are universal experiences, right? Grief is the most universal experience Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. All humans will grieve. Mm-hmm. And your art gives us connection, 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 connection. Oh, thank and, you. Oh, I, lo- I love it. So I, I mean, I'll tell you, I ordered 20 copies. The only other book that I've done that with is Steve Leader's workbook. I don't know if you know him. He's a rabbi and he has a workbook that's, that's about legacy work. And so after people have grieved about a year, I give them, I give them some version of his book, but this one, I feel like I I'm shy. People always ask like, what book should I give them? And I'm like, nobody can read. Nobody can really read. Yeah. yeah, This is like, you just crack open the book and you're like, wow, what else is in here? Yeah. And that to me feels really special. Will you read the foreword? Absolutely. And hello grief, because I honestly think, I mean, I read it like a dozen times. I just think in very few words, you nail what, what particularly early grief feels like, I think universally. I'm very happy to read it. Okay, so here's the introduction. When I look back to my personal loss, the sudden loss of my mother, I can instantly transport myself to that space of pain, disorientation, and complete hollowness. On the day she died, I remember driving back home to Brooklyn from her bedside, arriving in my neighborhood, and being startled by how the UPS man was still delivering packages. A couple was laughing on their way to the local coffee spot, my neighbor whistling while sweeping his stoop. How was this possible? Hadn't they heard? My mom was gone. Why was life still happening? And that is the painful truth. Life goes on. As my sadness enveloped me and the meaning of it all became so murky in my mind, the world around me turned. I felt so isolated and alone as if I was on the other side of some glass pane dividing me from my old, blissfully unaware self. Suddenly it all looked completely different. Loss or separation from someone or something we are connected to is life's most difficult hurdle. You have to allow yourself your process, remembering no two people will grieve in the same way. And it's not limited to death. We will grieve for things such as our youth, our relationships, even the bad ones, habits, the destructive but nostalgically fun ones, or even a former identity. This book is my exploration of grieving my mother, my journey navigating through the complex feelings of loss and longing to find meaning. Grief is normal, omnipresent, and necessary. Please take care and take time to understand your grief so that healing may begin. Love, Alessandra. It's so beautiful. And again, just so validating because I think everybody who's gone through a profound loss can't believe that the UPS man is still delivering. Like, doesn't he know? Doesn't I had somebody when the queen's funeral was happening, Mm -hmm. they were like, can you imagine this? Like, can you imagine if we did this in this country? And I was like, yes, I can fucking imagine it. This is what (laughs) I think should have happened. Like, what are you asking me? In my world, it would have been validating. And you and I lost our moms pretty close in time. Mm -hmm. You were July and I was August. And Mm -hmm. I took about six months to sort of really recover from PTSD. 
And then here we were in COVID. And one of the perverse things that happened for me in COVID was it made me feel more normal that everybody else felt crazy. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, I've been living on this Island for a little while not for the same reason that we are now, but everybody who's like, how are we going to bear this? I've been at that bus stop for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's such a strange thing. And uh, yeah, there's, there's for sure. I, I thought COVID similarly was a little bit more of a connector with the rest of the world, but yeah. you know, the longing stays. I mean, I still, you know, my daughter has a big win at something and I want to call my mom and I want her to, you know, she was my biggest cheerleader. And listen, I recognize that not everyone that loses someone has the same relationship that perhaps we did. And by all means, my relationship with my mother was extremely complicated. Yeah. Me you too. know, it wasn't perfect. And that's part of the difficulty as well as I feel that when she first died, I still felt very misunderstood by her. And I knew I was never going to have that chance to resolve resolve those things. And that's part of the lessons in grief is that you have to be okay with where things ended, that you have to let go of what should have been and let be what was. That's exactly right. Mm. One question that people ask a lot or find pain when they hear other people talking about is sort of the, in grief theory, they call it continuing bonds, where it's like, you still kind of have an active conversation with your mom or you still, yeah. Do you do that? I still do talk to my mother. I mean, for sure. I do do that. You know, she's kind of my what do you call it? North star. Yeah. I I ask from her a lot. I mean, I've never really been a religious person per se, but I do feel that she's looking over me. Yeah. Yeah. I like the quantum physics idea of like energy goes out into the world. So why wouldn't the energy be drawn to the people? You know, why, why not? Yeah. Why Um, not? Yeah. Why not? Why, why can't that be the way? Why couldn't my mother be that butterfly over there? Like, why not? (laughs) Why couldn't she be like, if I, if that feels right to me, why can't that be what it is? I don't need anyone to prove that to me. I have a page in hello grief that just like, I had to like sit and breathe because I was like, this makes me feel something so strong. Do you have a, a particular page where this is the one for you? Is it the whole book? Is there a, I think the end is I mean, that sounds so obvious, but the end is my favorite part because there's an acceptance there on my part of respecting the feelings. Yeah. Understanding that I wouldn't want this to be any other way, that I wouldn't want to feel any other way than missing, missing, missing her. Yeah, that's right. The page that I'm talking about is this one. I'm going to hold it up to you, but it's, and I told the night everything. Oh yeah. I mean, even now when I open it up, it just gives me chills as an, as an artist, like God, your, your art is just so compelling and beautiful. And I'm sure people have said those things to you over and over. There is something about this image 
a woman alone underneath the, the night sky that feels both incredibly lonely and held at the same time, Absolutely. like part of the universe, which has been here and will be here, you know, before and after. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the like esoteric sort of hard things to describe about grief. When people say that phrase, you are not alone. You are alone. You are. Yeah. You What you have lost is yours, unique, irrevocable to you. I mean, it's the thing that actually fundamentally connects us is that we have experienced and will experience loss. And I just feel like that panel, man. Yeah. Well, that actually is a real thing. So I live in Brooklyn and it's very noisy. I don't know if you can pick up some of the background. of. It's quiet right now for us. (laughs) And uh, your eyes are completely filled here. You see a million things going on, people arguing on the street, screeching cars, honking, fire engines, buildings everywhere. Your eyes are constantly absorbed. And when my mom passed, a friend of mine said, you need to, you need, your eyes need rest. So I went by myself to New Mexico Mm. And it was so helpful for me. Now, if you don't have the luxury to just take off when you are grieving and give yourself time and space away from all of it, work, social media, the noise of a city, then carve out like a little space for yourself because it's so important to just sit with yourself. I think before I had done that, I was really just busying myself, making a million plans. So I didn't have to deal and I didn't have to look at what was going on inside. And that telling the sky, I remember driving, we were going to Abiquiu. My friend picked me up from the airport in Santa Fe and I had rented an Airbnb, even though she lived in Abiquiu so I could have my own space. And I remember coming, driving, and all I saw was sky and stars. It was right around dusk. And I just wept and wept and wept because I was not really giving myself the space to let what was happening happen and just letting it be instead of trying to avoid it. Well, first of all, I didn't realize that picture was New Mexico. I didn't know it was real. And So that makes sense to me also that maybe intuitively or instinctively I was connecting. My family spent a month during sort of the COVID months in Taos and beautiful with the same idea. I mean, just more stars than I've ever seen in my life. So many shooting stars. Taos is incredible. Yeah. Just, and you know, a deeply sort of spiritual Mm. ancient held place, you know, that also experienced a lot of violence and grief and loss amongst Mm -hmm. people. So it just, it felt to me very mystical. It's where I started writing my, my memoir, but I like the, I like the suggestion to people to remind them that you like, you are different inside your body. It doesn't mean you can't come home and come to know yourself, but when you have this tether to someone, and again, it doesn't have to be the world's most positive relationship, but when you are tied to someone, mm-hmm. they're no longer in the world for you to pick up the phone or even just be, you know, angry at passively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does change how you land, how your energy lands inside your system. You know, I don't do it as much now, but the, but the thing, particularly when something amazing happens for one of my kids, the like tumbling pain of being like, shit, 
She she never gets to know this. I never get to tell her this. It's gentler in my system than it ever was before, but it's there. And, and part of getting to the place where it's gentler in my system is to just be with, be with it. When I feel the pain of it, just like sit and sit in it. Like I'm sinking myself in, in a color and like watching myself change that color. Mm-hmm. And just, mm-hmm. Right. We just have to, we just have to do it. Yeah. Let yourself look at your own pain. Yeah. You know, we, we, I, let's not say we, but I definitely have avoided so many things. Yeah. I just don't want to look at it. But looking at my grief has been so helpful for me. I think a lot of it was beyond just losing my parent. I had a lot of fear around death. And, you know, when you lose a parent and you are a parent and you know you're. Now you're up. Yeah. You know, time is limited. What am I going to do with this time? What can I do? And it's hard to stay present it's hard to stay optimistic. So I try to go closer when those things happen. That was part of the reason why I trained after I lost my mom to become an end of life doula. Yeah. So extraordinary. I said, all right, (laughs) I have this fear. Let me look at it. Let me examine what, what this is. Plus, I mean, it wasn't solely for that reason. One of the most amazing things when my mom was passing, she did home hospice. And although I'm not a hospice worker, the woman that cared for her just offered her so much relief. Because part of the thing that I've learned now, as I've sat with lots of people in their final phases is often there's a burden that they feel to share what's happening on their loved ones, because they don't want to burden them. They don't want to make them feel worse. So this woman, her name was Charlene, was this person that she could just let her know, I'm terrified. I'm fearing this. I'm, you know, she offered a space where there was no judgment and I wanted to be that for somebody. So I, during covid trained with the, the doula program, which is a center in New York. And then once things started opening up, I started visiting with people that were terminal and it's been very eye-opening for me. And, and I, I love it. Has it, has it made it feel less scary? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It has. Just because it's, I see that it's part of life yeah. and I don't know more other, more than that. Yeah. There's a palliative care specialist who's just a delight in the UK named Catherine Mannix. And she, she's written a bunch and has some Ted talks about grief and loss, but she talks about how, because we don't die in the home the mm-hmm. way we used to, mm-hmm. that, that, that drives some of the fears that it's just not part of our experience that we can't hand down traditions or see it as a sense of normal because we've just made it not be normal. So I always wonder about that. You know, I have sat with people when they're dying and, and that is an experience that I have, but my husband hasn't. And I just wonder about that. I wonder what that means. You know, I mean, I certainly can say that it's not the most pleasant to be in a hospital. Yeah. 
very noisy. The lights are very bright. Often these hospitals, especially the one I visit at in New York, are stretched thin. Yeah. So it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. What I what I think about with your two books, which are so gorgeous. And again, I'm going to have a bunch of copies. So if people are interested in getting a copy, they can get in touch with myself or my assistant, Julianne, and we will send you some copies of this book because we want you to have it. But what I think about is sort of the gift of being able to, with your own process, create something. Not everybody does that. That doesn't make your grief better. But I do think sometimes being able to put something out into the world and having get those emails and having people say me too, it's like the circle of validation. I know you have some other projects that mm-hmm. are that you're working on now mm-hmm. uh, that are also, you've said, sort of grief related. Can you tell us about those? Sure. So, you know, I will continue with books and I have a new book swirling around in my Yay. I can't wait. Which is going to be hopefully about joy. It's my turn. (laughs) That's right. We embrace it. But I had this craziest thing when we were in lockdown and COVID. I'm a single parent and I was with my, at the time, five-year-old. Yeah. Half of the time or alone half of the time. And I was anxious beyond And I'm not someone that is normally anxious ridden, anxiety ridden. Okay. Uh, But I just really couldn't calm my nervous system down. I couldn't do the simplest drawing because I just was very overwhelmed. And I think part of that was because my visual sense was shut down. The way that I get inspired to draw often will be walking around, connecting people, looking at the color of the leaves noticing what's happening on my block or in the neighborhood and none of that was happening. So at that, I thought, hmm, after, you know, days of this going on, I thought if my visual sense is such an important cue for me to create, maybe if I tap into some of my other senses. And so I started getting into smell. Yeah. And I started playing around with some essential oils and noticed that like one smell of jasmine might give me a boost or a micro shift if I was feeling completely overwhelmed by my grief. That little floral might, it wouldn't change everything for me, but it might make a little micro shift for me to get into a different headspace. Same with like a lavender might soften my shoulders a bit. And I was really, really so impressed by what a different smell. And I really hadn't tapped into the, my sense of smell and yeah. how effective it could be. And then I started creating these little oils for myself and I created rituals for myself of sort of self-touch. And I thought, gosh, I can't remember the last time I like intentionally cradled my shoulders or my arms or did some self-soothing And it just was the most magical thing. So I started bottling up these little creations I had. I went online and did a training for aromatherapy. Actually, I then then went in person and completed an aromatherapy course with this wonderful woman named Amy Gelper. And I thought, I'm going to just make a few little bottles of these things, which I called A-OK. So on Instagram, I'm Aolano. So this was my little 
A-okay, I love it. Ancha, I feel A-okay. And I created an all-over body oil and just started sharing it with, started as friends. And the next thing I knew, it grew into a few shops. And now I'm in about 30 different stores throughout the U.S. And then I do direct-to-consumer. And I'm now creating sandalwood massagers, all things that can... Are provisions for good living, things that can make you feel good, create rituals. So that's my endeavor. A-OK. I love it. And again, I mean, even so people can't see because we're on we're on audio, but you're doing a you're crossing your arms over your chest and doing sort of a hug. And that's called the havening touch. And you may know that, but as is, so you're using that, that this havening approach which we teach people in trauma as a way of regulating themselves. And part of it is that you're cro- you're bilaterally crossing and creating soothing stimulation. And so we know that the brain likes that the same way that babies like to be rocked. What is so fascinating to me is that like we could do a whole master's level education on that, but then there are all these people who just instinctively know to do it, Absolutely. that we are actually wired to be able to grieve and to heal and to soothe. And that if we can trust our instincts, right? Same thing. You just noticed that you were responding in a positive way. We don't need more, we don't need more language than that, but there are some neuroscientists that be able to sit you down and say, okay, we know some things about how your system works because of the sense that you like, and you're grounding yourself in the here and now when you are activating a sense of smell. One thing I, I guide clients when they're really overwhelmed, I have them put their hand, hold ice cubes in their hand and put ice in their mouth. Because if you change your temperature, you ground yourself in the here and now. And if you rub your feet on the floor, take your shoes off and walk in grass, you ground yourself in the present. So I just love the description. You have a, a body, it sounds like to me, that gives you such instinctive messages. Absolutely. And that's so, that's such a hopeful message, right? For all of us that are like, maybe this grief thing is too hard. We're wired if we can listen. Now you're going to use smell and someone else is going to be like, yeah, that did nothing for me. That's fine. But yeah. can you, can you tap into your own instincts and see Maybe it's gardening, maybe it's cooking, maybe it's singing, but your body will tell you something if we can sort of quiet down and get curious. And I love the sense that you've described. Those are, those are so soothing to me and the candles that I pick and the perfumes that I choose all the time. I just love those. And I just love that you discovered that for yourself and then trained in it and made up, you know, created a, created a a whole nother animal. I mean, it is Oh, I bet. It's so fun, but it's, you know, I'm a creative. So building a little business is a different world for me, but I'm having fun with it. I love about it is it's, you know, these are all natural things I'm, I'm bringing that make you feel good and that evoke your senses and connection to your body and mind. And maybe bringing something new that wasn't there before. Like one of the things that's really tricky, I think, or has been for me in grief. And I have heard other people talk about is like, you can't really go back to the way that it was at all. And so even though you feel vulnerable and confused and you don't know how to do it, you do have to figure out a way to move forward. And so taking on things like novelty, like Mm -hmm. newness, embracing it and saying, I'm going to move towards this. I'm going to learn how to do this. That's also been true in the pandemic that people who have found ways to 
do things that are new regulates anxiety. This is a new, listen, we all are pivoting, you know, it's a new world. Things are changing. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see that, get your oils. I can't wait to send these books out and know that we are spreading this message because they really are incredibly special and beautiful and simple and smart and validating in a way that I've watched other people respond to because I've already, I bought a whole bunch when I got them and already gave two out to people. And I can't wait to see what the next book brings. I love the idea of joy. It may be as ironic But many, many people talk about the importance of moving towards joy. Oh, listen, I'll tell you something about loss. Loss has taught me how to find joy in the small things. Amen. I have, in moments that are truly joyous, I've appreciated them tenfold. Yeah. After going through something painful. My friend, the writer and photographer, Deborah Kopakin, she wrote Lady Parts and she's a journalist. She talked to me early in the pandemic and I just, it's an everyday ritual for me. She talks about practicing awe, which is that there's just no reason why you can't be overwhelmed by something beautiful every day. And so if you can't do that inside your house, you need to get outside. And if you can't find it outside, then you need to move towards something that, but there's no reason why we can't. And I, I really think since I had that conversation with her and to me, enjoy are sort of like edged up on each other. Joy maybe is a little more energetic, has more energy inside it in the body and ah is more reflective, but it can't go a day without it. It's like a drug. Yeah. I just had a conversation with a friend yesterday, the same one that's in Abiquiu. And she says that throughout the day, she'll periodically say to herself, am I happy right now? And what I do, is this making me happy? And she tries to find these like little ways to take something that might ordinarily be mundane and bring joy and happiness to it. It's just an intentional practice, right? And again, we're thrown into the world of grief and loss. We didn't choose that. We didn't pick it. And so it's pretty life affirming what you're describing your friend doing. Yeah. And I I can't wait to see what images show up in a book about joy from you. That's, that's bringing me joy today. Just let's do it. I'm so grateful for this conversation. You were so gracious to say yes, because I just sort of popped in your DMs and you were like, let's do it. Oh, I'm Um, excited to be here. Really, it's your books are such a gift. Your art is such a gift. You are teaching us things that are so important. If people want to know more about, you know, your art life in general or want to figure out how they can get the essential oils, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I'm on Instagram. That's very easy for me. It's A-O-L-A-N-O-W, Aolano. And yep. then the essential oils is okay. Yep. And on Instagram, it's feeling A-OK. So great. Yeah. Well, we'll put all that in the show notes so people can have you know a chance to find all that simply and easily go to your Instagram and see all the things that you're doing and keep up with you. Thank you so much for this conversation. I so appreciate it.